Support for this program is provided by Chevron. This is Politico Energy. I'm Annie Snyder. Gas prices are the highest they've been in years, leaving many drivers wondering why and who's to blame. There are very few things any president of the United States can do to directly influence gas prices, especially in the short term. But presidents of either party will take the blame for rising gas prices, and whatever party is out of power is happy to blame the party in power for rising gas prices. On cue, the Republican Party is blaming President Biden for the soaring gas prices. But at the same time, the president is also getting heat from environmentalists and indigenous groups who are eager to block fossil fuel projects, including ones currently in operation, like Line 5 in Michigan. Today, my colleague Ben Lefebvre breaks down the real reasons why gas prices have gone up and the political ramifications. It's Tuesday, November 9th. One of the major reasons that gas prices are high is because at this time a year ago, demand just like fell off a cliff because of the pandemic. So all these fuel makers in the U.S. basically had to shut down and wind down operations. And even never minding that, I think it was like late 2019 or maybe it was summer 2019, a major refinery on the U.S. East Coast like literally exploded. It doesn't exist anymore. And it was one of the major suppliers of fuel, like in D.C., New York. It was based in Philadelphia. So you have a major decrease in the amount of gasoline production capacity in the U.S. Now, for the past number of months, and the economic kind of shutdowns that resulted from the pandemic have kind of been reversing and the economy is getting stronger. More people are going back to work, but it's always easier to ramp things down and to bring them back up. Fuel demand is increasing faster than refineries can produce it for now. And that's slowly getting better, but not quite. One other factor is that OPEC, which had slashed oil production during the dark days of the pandemic economy, they've been increasing production, but not as quickly as some folks would like to see, including the Biden administration. So basically, we have one of those classic supply chain bottlenecks that just needs to kind of get worked out. And there's not a lot the administration can do to kind of help unkink the hose for now. Okay, so point taken that a lot of what is driving the current gas prices and current fuel prices uh, is outside of the president's control, but they are in a bit of a tricky position. President Biden has very pointedly said that he wants to transition away from oil and gas, right? So what is he trying to do here? What what are they trying to do in response? (laughs) They're trying to do two things. They're trying to say we need oil production to be fairly robust now for the short term to make sure people aren't paying too much at the pump. But we also have this slew of policy provisions that we want to get done, and some of which did get done in the infrastructure package that passed this weekend, and a lot of other things in the Build Back Better package they're trying to pass that they would say is a down payment on an energy transition that will yield fruit in the future. So basically, in a way, they're not trying to have it both ways. They're trying to say, oil now for what we need now, 
and let's start getting away from oil in the future. But that is a hard thing to put on a bumper sticker, and it's, it's not helped by the administration not really voicing that policy, or at least not as often as they might need to, to kind of let it sink in on the public. And it just you know, hands over ammo to Republicans who are happy to make inflation a political issue going into the 2022 midterm elections. In terms of the sort of challenge that the Biden administration faces in balancing the sort of immediate need for oil with the longer term goals of transitioning away from it, you and colleague Zian Lum reported last week that the Biden administration is looking into what effect it would have on fuel prices in the Midwest if they shut down the Line 5 pipeline that delivers oil from Western Canada through the Great Lakes region. So how does that fit into the picture? So Michigan Governor Whitmer, she had campaigned on trying to get rid of this pipeline. But a lot of it is we don't want it in the Great Lakes. Well, Whitmer's administration was in a legal battle over Enbridge, the Canadian company that, that owns and operates this pipeline. And it looked like Michigan may have been able to do something. Michigan was basically saying, we're going to revoke the easement the state gave to the original owners of Line 5 to have the pipeline go through the Great Lakes. When the Canadian government stepped in and they invoked a treaty from the late 1970s between the U.S. and Canada that basically stipulates that neither country's government can force a shutdown of a cross-border pipeline unless for a specific set of reasons. Because they invoked this international treaty, it basically forces the Biden administration to have to have a response. So that's where they're in the bind now. They have this choice of okay, we have progressives that are a little bit steamed that some of their provisions got stripped out of the Build Back Better plan and have been like, you know, calling on the Biden administration to do something about this pipeline. So can we offend them? Or if we actually do say we think there are sufficient justifications to shut down this pipeline, especially now with, you know, gasoline and oil prices where they are, are we just going to take a huge political hit from a Republican Party that already looks like it's going to make gains in 2022? Well, I thought it was really interesting that some of your sources argued that this is as much about optics as it is anything else for the Biden administration. So Enbridge has other pipelines that could deliver the fuel into that area. Environmental advocates will say, well, look, we're not going to shut the pipeline down like overnight. We could wind it down as we look for other ways for the fuel to get to the markets it needs to go to. But even those kind of nuanced arguments, when you're dealing with fuel prices where they're at now, it's really tough to kind of like say, okay, we're going to do this. Administrative folks could take like 30 minutes explaining the ins and outs of like, instead of cutting through the Great Lakes, well, it can be shipped through a pipeline down to Indiana and then over to Ontario or this and that, or, you know, we could have more rail cars moving stuff. The minute a decision gets made to shut down the pipeline, you can expect the Republican Party PR machine to just wind up and just say Biden is going to increase fuel prices even more because of these policies. Also on Monday, Michael Sue, the acting controller of the currency, said he wants banks to develop plans to manage climate risk. He also released a list of questions their boards should be asking. One question was, quote, what is our overall exposure to climate change? Another was, what can we do to position ourselves to seize opportunities from climate change? Sue's move comes as the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, which oversees many of the nation's largest banks, begins drafting guidelines on climate risk. 
For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our newsletter at politico.com slash morning energy. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Annie Snyder, and we'll see you tomorrow. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Did you know that Chevron supports the ambitions of the Paris Agreement? In fact, they've even tied their executives' compensation to lowering the carbon emissions intensity of their operations. Because it's only human to help power a brighter future. Learn more at chevron.com slash lowercarbon.